Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I'm glad you're here. Um, If you're a visitor with us this morning, especially glad that you've trusted us with your time. I hope that you have already been greeted and welcomed into the Solid Rock family. Um, And uh, and so I want to let you know something, though. You're stepping into Solid Rock at a pretty exciting moment. Um, We're at a place in our story where God is really opening up our hearts and challenging us to believe him for more than what we believe is possible, to expect more than we can imagine. And so we're on a journey together that we're calling All In. And so um, really this is so much more than a sermon series, but we are on the third week in the sermon series. We've got two more to go. And that really is just going to be the opening pages of a new chapter in our journey. We believe God is calling us Uh, to trust him and to believe more than we've ever seen here in our church, that um, he wants to do more than just build buildings on this campus. He truly is leading us to build a bigger box where people can gather and be touched and ministered to. Um, We are not a church that is about money or buildings, and so throughout this sermon series, um, to hear about buildings and money, it's it's pretty subtle. We're not talking a whole lot about that because ultimately this is about our hearts, where our hearts are, trusting him and where he's going to lead us. Um, And so um, I want to let you know that because we're going to be talking about some of those things this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're pretty excited about what God is doing. And, uh, and so this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 uh, as we continue the conversation about what biblical faith looks like. Uh, it's so important for us to understand, first of all, our relationship with God um, is initiated by faith. Our journey to follow him with our lives uh, is initiated by faith. However, we can't just approach God with a, with a world perspective on faith, right? Because faith is kind of ambiguous in the world we live in. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so we're looking at a biblical definition of faith that, that begins first with belief, right? That's how each one of us, more than likely, if we were pinned down and asked, how do you define faith? We would lean on belief, right? It's believing something. And so last week, we looked at the belief component of faith that to to, to, to trust God or to have faith in God begins with what you believe about him, right? That you believe some things are true, but it's not enough just to conceptually believe that things are true, right? And there, there's another element of belief that today we're gonna call trust. And so before I become active in my faith or active in my relationship with Jesus and I start loving on the least of these or serving the poor or engaging in missions or spending time with you that that first of all I gotta have to come from a foundation of faith belief plus trust so today we're going to be looking at the trust component of our faith in Jesus in Matthew 14 a fairly familiar story in the Gospels where um, Jesus is going to come to his disciples out on the, on the water. And uh, they're in a boat, storm is raging, and he's going to walk out on the water and call Peter out of the boat. Uh, and this is a story where Peter walks on water. And so um, this is where we're going this morning. Verse 22 of Matthew 14. Immediately he, being Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat And go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So let's start with what's going on here in this scene. So this, uh, the word immediately is, is in there on purpose to let us know that whatever happened right before this, it's happening the same day. Okay, so if you back up what just happened is 
Jesus, with his disciples, sat down with just a little bit of food and fed 5,000 plus people. Okay, That's what happened earlier in the afternoon this day. So when you see immediately, it's the same day. Okay, And so immediately, uh, what Jesus does is he, he makes or he compels his disciples to get into a boat and go out on the lake. Now, so whatever happens in the next story, we know that Jesus is initiating this. He didn't tell his guys, hey, don't take the boat. It's not safe. Let's walk around. And they rebelled against Jesus and did their own thing. They're doing what he asked them to do. And so Jesus compels or he makes his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he stays with the crowds to dismiss them. Now, what we're reading is that out on the lake, the disciples encounter a a pretty ferocious, terrifying storm, okay? And so as they encounter this storm, the wind begins to build and the waves begin to crash on this boat, leaving these disciples in a really vulnerable position, okay? And so I'm trying to wrap my mind around what this looks like, what it was like, and, and the problem is I'm approaching this story from a 21st century perspective, and I'm thinking about our boats, right? I'm thinking about boats that have been designed to encounter waves that have been manipulated by, by test labs and nautical engineering. These jokers cut this boat out of a tree, right? No, no real engineering other than, yeah, I think that board looks good there. And they're out in this lake being tossed about by this raging storm that's blowing waves against the boat, right? Essentially rendering them helpless, right? They can't crake the Evinrude and, uh, or drop the trolling motor and take off. They don't have an anchor. They're simply left there vulnerably bouncing about, being tossed about in the storm. So important to understand that Jesus initiated this moment for them. He sent them into a difficult situation that rendered them helpless and vulnerable. Think about that. What would be going on in your mind in this moment? What would you be praying for in this moment if you're one of these disciples? Some of us, maybe frustration or bitterness, right? You're remembering the voice of Jesus while you were still on the dry land, right? Before you were seasick, before you were terrified, thinking... Wait a second, you told us to come out here, God, right? What's going on here? This is your fault, what's happening to me. Or maybe you didn't respond that way, you responded by praying. What would you be praying for? Oh, dear God, calm this storm. Bring it to an end. We know you can calm this storm. And so Jesus sends his disciples out into the lake in a situation of difficulty and vulnerability. Now, in verse 25... We read this, that in the fourth hour, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., the fourth hour. So he fed the 5,000 the previous afternoon. Then he sent his boys out into the lake. Later that evening, he's praying. Now we're like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning. So these guys have been out there a while. And in the fourth hour, the watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, whatever was going on in their minds and their hearts in in this moment God is doing something very intentional here he's not trying to put on a magic show he's not trying to teach them a physics lesson about buoyancy and gravity he's he's stepping into their situation to teach them something about their hearts and so Jesus comes to them walking on the sea of course displaying his authority and power over creation but when he saw but when the disciples saw him rather 
walking on the sea, they were terrified. Now, I'm, I'm willing to believe that Matthew's being generous here. I bet they were already terrified, right? So whatever terror was already there just got taken up a notch when they see Jesus walking on the water, and they said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Um, Jesus is walking in physical form, so there's nothing that would lead us to believe that he looked like an apparition or looked like a ghostly form, or, right? So he's literally walking on water physically. However, I think this tells us something about um, their perspective here or what their default mode is, right? They see Jesus walking on water. He's defying everything that rationally made sense to them, and so this has to be an apparition or a ghost, right? Because people can't walk on water. Now, ghosts could hover across the water. That would make this scene make sense to us, but a physical human being doesn't make sense walking on water, and so they cry out, a ghost. Again, not because Jesus looked like a ghost, because I think in their minds that was the only rational explanation for what they were seeing, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, what we're going to see is, uh, as the story unfolds, is Jesus is going to do something that's beyond what we would, we would expect, okay? So what we would maybe expect right here is Jesus is about to talk to the wind and the waves. He's telling them, take heart, it's me, I've got this under control, watch, wind, be still. That would be pretty dramatic, pretty epic, wouldn't it? But that's not what he's going to do here. And so he says, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. Now, grammatically in English, this sentence wouldn't read very well. Wouldn't read correctly, if I can get my grammar together. Because this this, uh, phrase, um, it is I, is the the be verb, if you're an English major, and it simply translates, I am. Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. And so whatever lesson Jesus wants to teach them is rooted in who he is. Not, not what he can do, but who he is. Take heart. He didn't say, take heart, because I can tell this storm to chill out. Take heart, because I can rescue you. Take, he said, what did he say? Take heart, because I am. And do not be afraid. And so... So often when I personally am faced with difficult, vulnerable situations, my initial reaction, my initial prayer request is God change this situation. I don't like it, it's hard, make it easier, right? Change, take the chaos and turn it into order. However, what we're going to see is this is not what Jesus is going to do here, Before we go any further, um, if you want to take notes with us this morning, um, you've got an all-in booklet. It's page 28. If you don't have one, we've got more um, right out in the hallway there. And uh, so feel free to fill in the blanks, jot your notes down in your own journal. However you want to follow along is perfectly fine, perfectly fine. But before we fill in the first blank, I want to talk about this for just a minute, what's going on in this scene. So from a 30,000-foot view, what Jesus has just done with his 12 followers, he's placed them in a vulnerable position, and he's taken away all of their security and everything that they previously trusted in, including their understanding of even physics and gravity and buoyancy. He's stripped them bare of any right, ability to, to fend for themselves. and take. It doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are at this moment, right? 
Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how good you are at sailing a boat. Doesn't matter how good you are at navigating on the sea under the stars. In this moment, these guys had nothing left to trust in but the fetal position in the bottom of the boat. That's all they had left, right? Hanging on for dear life. And if this boat starts to break apart, just grab a piece of wood and hope for the best. That's all they have left in this moment. And so what Jesus is leading them to do is to let go of everything and trust him in this moment. Now what we're talking about today is not necessarily a secular view of faith that is better defined as wishful thinking. What we're talking about today is biblical faith, all in faith, 100% faith. Not part in faith, I kind of have faith, but what does it look like to fully trust Jesus all in? All in faith means trusting in Jesus and letting go of what we can do. Trusting in Jesus and letting go of what we can do. So for me, in, in, in those moments in my life, you know, I, I tend to white knuckle things. I don't know if you're like that. Things that bring me security, things that bring me peace of mind, things that bring me comfort, things that make me happy. I like to white knuckle those things. I've got pretty good grip and it's going to take, yeah, somebody pretty strong to, take, to pull those things away from me. But in those moments where God speaks to me and challenges me to truly trust in him, what he's calling me to do is to let go of those things. These can be good things, by the way. It could be a, a job that God blessed you with. It could be your financial situation. It could be a relationship you have. These good things, if we're not careful, we'll white knuckle them, right? Because we find security in these things. You have anything else in my life, but you can't have these. And what God says to me in those moments is let go. And so often what I do this is me, I'm not putting this on you, is I'll let go with one hand and step towards Jesus while still maintaining a grip on something in my life. A false sense of identity, what you think about me, what my wife thinks about me, what my children think about me. There's just one thing I'll tend to hang on to. And so in this moment, these guys have got nothing left but the bottom of the boat, right? That's all they have left to trust in. And so now we're gonna see what Jesus does next. Verse 28 Then Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he, being Jesus, said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, this is a pretty good start. Peter Peter is off to a good start at getting the lesson that Jesus is teaching them in this moment. Okay. Now, in a minute, it's going to turn. But so far, so good. Starting off with his declaration of who Jesus is. What does he say? Lord. That word Lord translates into either master or owner. And so, first of all, Peter's declaring what he believes to be true about Jesus. He's calling him master. Master over what? He's walking on stinking water. Master over creation, right? Master over physics. Master over what makes sense to me. Master over what is logical. You're truly master. But he was also declaring something very personal, wasn't he? I belong to you. You're not only the master over creation, you're my owner. I belong to you, Jesus. Call me to come out to you. So Jesus says, come, and Peter gets out of the boat and walks to Jesus. And in this moment, Peter is on the right track. 
He's on the right track for a couple of reasons. First of all, this is the only thing that Peter has left is the hull of the boat, right? That's his last thing to let go of. Everything else has been stripped away from him in this moment. And so as he cries out to Jesus and says, Jesus, call me to come to you, what he's saying is what? I'm ready to let go of this one last thing and come out to you on the water. He's off to a pretty good start, isn't he? But here's something else I want to note. It's so important to what's happening here. As Peter moves towards Jesus, he's actually moving towards his difficulties. Think about that. Because we tend to run to God and say what? Take the difficulties away. Make this easier. Turn the chaos into peace. What is Peter doing? As he runs towards Jesus, he's actually running into the difficulties, isn't he? I mean, it was bad enough the waves were crashing against the boat. Now he's stepping out of the boat, and as he presses into Christ, he's actually pressing into his difficulties. Difficulties aren't going away. All he's doing is moving closer to Christ. If you're taking notes, all in faith requires trusting Jesus to lead you beyond what seems possible. Once again, I think so often our prayers are filled with what seems possible to us. Anybody else guilty of praying your solutions to God? This would go so much easier if I would just get the call back about this job, or this would go so much better if um, you know, my children would just listen. This would go so much better if my wife would just submit and follow my leadership. What's her problem, right? And we pray our own solutions so often to God as though he doesn't know what's best, Right? But how many of us call God, hey, drag me deeper into my difficulties that I might know better who you are? Anybody prayed that today? I mean, that's what you're indirectly praying when you're praying for patience, by the way. God, make the situation harder that I might learn to trust in you more. That's what's happening here. Peter's not running away from his difficulties. He's stepping into them as he pursues Christ here. And he's believing and trusting in Jesus beyond what seems possible or makes sense to him in this moment. We've got a pretty good indication here. Peter's never seen anybody walk on water, right? They thought this was a ghost. So it's not like Jesus had been doing this and he was familiar with this. And now he's like, okay, now it's my turn. This is like, this, in this moment, right, Peter's faith is, be put, is being put to the test to see if he truly trusts Jesus. Trusting him to lead him beyond what seems possible. Now verse 30 is where things begin to turn in a different direction. But, that's never a good word. When you're reading a story about Jesus interacting with somebody and it seems to be going well, then you read the word but. Because that means that things are about to turn and go a different direction. But, when he, being Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and... Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So we know from that one verse that the storm has not gone away, right? But we do know this, that for a brief moment, Peter has taken his eyes off of the storm, off of the wind, off of the difficulty, off of what's threatening his life, and he's placed his eyes where? On Christ, right? And when he's doing that, he's getting it right. But when he takes his eyes off of Christ and puts them back on his situation, what happens? He begins to sink. He begins to sink. He begins to drift back into what? Fear. Remember he was terrified? 
He was terrified because of the storm. He was terrified because he saw Jesus and he didn't know what was going on. He thought it was a ghost. And now he's terrified and afraid again. And he cries out, Lord, save me. Now, probably the best news in this whole story is in 31. Look at what Jesus does. And once again, the word immediately is really important. The author wants us to know this is just happening in real time. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, here's the good news of the gospel and why this is my favorite verse in the whole story. Jesus' love for you is not contingent on how well you obey him or how perfectly you walk in faith. If, you've, if you believe that, you've bought into a lie. Case in point, Peter's life. This won't be the last time for Peter to sink in proverbial doubt, right? As the gospel goes on, we're going to see several encounters where Peter gets it right and several where he gets it wrong. The good news of the gospel is that Right? Jesus' love for Peter and his acceptance of Peter wasn't based on him perfectly getting out of the boat and walking on water. Peter cries out to Jesus, save me, and what does Jesus do immediately? Saves him. Now, that's important for us to know, isn't it? And we've been talking about, as we go through this all-in journey together in a community group, one of the topics that keeps coming up is just kind of a, a sense of almost fear over you know, I know Jesus wants me to let go. I know Jesus wants me to be all in, but I'm kind of nervous about what that might look like. Anybody else there? Like, I'm afraid he's going to ask me to sell all my stuff and move to Africa kind of stuff, right? And, hey, I'm just going to be honest with you. Hey, there's, there's a chance that if you truly surrender your heart to Jesus and let go of everything else, there's a chance he's going to call you to sell all your junk and move to a foreign country. We've, he's, he's already been doing that in this church, Right? Got a family on the ground, been there a month in the Philippines. So there's a chance of that. But we know this. For the vast majority of, majority of us, he's not calling us to move. Because right? if we all moved, right, where would the beacon of hope be for this community? So, so there's a chance that could happen. But ultimately, I think we're all a little bit apprehensive about what it would it look like if I truly let go of everything. I said, Jesus, here's my life. For better or for worse, I'm ready to go. What would it look like? And I think a, another part of this, too, is... I think we're all prone to some level of doubt. And I think for some of us, too, we feel really guilty about our doubt. And we, we oftentimes feel like, well, I can't make that commitment to Christ until all my doubts are gone. Well, that wasn't true for Peter, was it? His doubts weren't all gone. In that moment, the best he could, he was trusting in Jesus. And what did he do whenever doubt emerged back in his heart? He cried out for help. And the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus will meet you in every one of those moments, whether it's failure or doubt or inconsistency or you're not keeping your commitments or whatever it is. And that's one that's my favorite part of the whole story. That Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, and he said to him, O you of little what? Faith. See, this is not a lesson about the weather. This is not a, a lesson about um, nautical uh, sailing and how to, how, to, how to set yourself up to succeed on the water. This isn't a lesson about gravity or physics or buoyancy. What is this a lesson about? Faith. It's a lesson about faith. Verse 32. And when they got into the boat, who's they? Jesus and Peter. So they got back into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. 
Now, two different perspectives here. They're all worshiping. They're all declaring together, you're the son of God. Peter's perspective is what? You're the son of God. You call us to believe what's impossible. You call us beyond what seems secure and what seems rational. I just experienced it. But, but you're also the son of God because you rescue us when we fail and you rescue us when we doubt. No, so Peter's worshiping from that perspective, but how about the other 11? What, are the, what perspective are they worshiping from? They just saw this with their own eyes. They saw Jesus walk out on water. They saw Peter get out of the boat. They saw Peter do well for a minute, and then they saw Peter lose focus and begin to sink, and they saw the loving, kind mercies of God as Jesus rescued Peter and helps him back into the boat. And they all did what? They all worshiped him. They all declared together, you truly are the son of God. So much of this um, all-in journey together is, it's, it's a two-fold um, journey. First of all, it's a personal journey, right? It's Peter's perspective. It's, God, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to call me to step out into? What are you calling me, first of all, like, let, to let go of that I could follow you personally? But it's also about what are you calling us to, to do collectively? Everybody who's in the boat, what are you calling us to trust you in? And I honestly think it's almost easier to think about God leading us as a church to do the impossible, to lead us as a church to believe him for big things, right? To, to throw a pep rally, to get excited, and pop the confetti. And go, yeah, God's leading us and we're going to do all these big things. It's a whole other thing to walk this out from Peter's perspective, isn't it? It's a lot more challenging, I think, for each one of us personally, right, to let go of our security in things and take hold of the hand of Christ and Christ alone. But here's the truth. Until we do it personally, we'll never do it collectively as a church, right? If we don't do it personally, as soon as the confetti settles and we sweep the floor, we go right back into our old routines, our old habits, our old lifestyles, our old predictability of just trusting God for what seems Normal, safe. Listen, church, God is not calling us to trust him uh, to lead us into what's safe. I know, we're Americans. We like for our lions to be tamed, right? And we like for our mysteries to be solved. You don't get to, you don't get to have those things when you follow Christ. This isn't how he calls his followers with all the answers and everything's gonna make sense. He doesn't take all the danger away and, and then say, get out of the boat, he says, get out of the boat even though there is danger. What, what, are, what are the risks? What are the risks right now that are, that are keeping you from following Christ all in in your life? What are the risks? No, I don't have to answer that out loud. I just want you to think about it. We know what Peter's risks were, right? It's pretty clear. Drown, physical death, I, I'm, I'm, humiliation from his friends. But what are you, what are you risking to follow Christ. When Jesus calls us to trust in him alone, he means letting go of everything else that we have trust in, including and especially, here it is, ourselves. He took everything away from these guys. The last thing they had, right, was just fighting for their own lives. And he stripped all that away and said what? Trust in me. Trusting in Jesus 100%. All in faith requires trusting in Jesus 100%. All in, right? Sink or swim, here I am, use me. Does 100% mean that you will walk perfectly? 
No. Does it mean you'll obey perfectly? No. Does it mean that you won't ever struggle with doubts or fears? No. 100% means what? I'm willing to let go of everything else and declare Jesus that you're all that I have left. All in faith requires trusting Jesus 100%. Now, first of all, what this means for us today um, is what we call in Christianity salvation. The Bible talks about being saved. What do we mean by that? What we mean by that is coming to that place in our journeys where we don't necessarily have all the questions answered and we don't have our act together yet, but we encounter Christ in a way that causes us to believe and trust. That's what salvation is, to come to that place where you're trusting in Christ and Christ alone. If you're still trying to get your life figured out and together before you follow Christ, what are you trusting in? Yourself. And so what Jesus is calling each one of us to do is to get out of the proverbial boat, if you will, of trusting in ourselves. And so I don't know, some of you may be in that place in your journey today where you know it. For you today, all in simply means trusting in Jesus, not just with this life, but the life to come. To trust that he truly has died for your sins and he's resurrected from the grave and he will give you eternal life. That's what we mean by salvation. This is first and foremost about that. Now secondly, it applies to those of us who are Christians as well. It impacts our understanding and God's calling on our lives as well. And so, I want to take a minute to talk about um, the all-in initiative to give you some information about what's going on. Um, ultimately, though, um, what we want to do is we want to talk about what God's speaking to, our, to us in terms of, of our hearts and what he's challenging us to. Um, first of all, let me just start here. So what I love about um, what God is doing in our church and the way he's guiding us through this initiative is that very little of, of, our, of our discussion really needs to be about buildings or money, okay? We have to talk about it briefly here, briefly there. I'm going to do it for just a minute here. But this is ultimately not about how big of a box we can build, how fancy it is, or how wealthy we are, and how much money we can raise, okay? It's not our approach. We're taking a one-fund initiative, which means this. We're just simply throwing all in together whatever God speaks to each one of our hearts, okay? Throwing it all in together. Nobody gets extra credit, Nobody gets a special seat in their name for designating X number of dollars. Matter of fact, we're asking you not to designate money to the new building. What we're saying is we want to throw it all in together. And what we're doing is we're taking whatever it it takes to operate and continue doing ministry that, that God has called us to do. We're not throttling back on ministry. We're not throttling back on our missions efforts. Okay, But what we're trusting is that what will be left after all those things are taken care of will be enough. That's what we're trusting in. Right? And it's, a, it's an all-in-together initiative. It's, it's Acts 2. It's Acts chapter 4 where the believers, right, they said, here, we're all in. Here's the, here's the amazing news. So if you've been keeping up with just this year alone, we haven't even got to that big day that we call Commitment Sunday. And in January alone, we had an excess of $25,000. Yeah, I can remember when we, we didn't bring in $25,000 for a whole month. After we paid for all of our operating expenses after we continued all the mission work we're doing. We still had $25,000 left over at the end of January to transfer into the new building fund. This month already, we've, we're two Sundays in, not counting today, we already have over $10,000 in excess. So this is us trusting God to figure out the math, okay? So what, what are we asking our families to do? Um, there's a... Uh, a commitment card in the seat in front of you, and I just want to explain it to you so that nobody leaves with the wrong perception about this, okay? Um, it says commitment card. What this is not, this is not a legalistic document 
or a contract that you're signing. Okay, so here's what won't happen. First of all, um, you won't get a seat in your name. Doesn't matter what number you put on here, nobody gets credit or glory for whatever God puts on your heart, okay? Hope you're okay with that, okay? The second thing is, never will there be a time where anybody comes and knocks on your door and says, wait a second, you put this number in the box and I've been looking at your giving here and the math isn't adding up, get on the ball, okay? That's not gonna happen. Matter of fact, these are gonna be processed confidentially, just like any other giving here. I won't have any idea what God puts on your heart to commit to, and that's the way we want it. We want that to be between you and God. We'll process it. There is a little table of like a mathematical equation in here. That's just there to help you if you need it, okay? As you pray about what God's doing uh, in your family and challenging you with, ultimately what we're asking, though, is for our families who are, are all in here at Solid Rock um, is this, that you would write down what God's calling you, as best you can tell, to commit to for a two-year time period, okay? A two-year time period. So you don't have to fill out all this stuff at the top. What's in the box is what matters. Um, now, here's the thing. Like, I'll be honest with you. This was probably the, the most reluctant thing that I really wanted to approach in terms of the fundraising because I think these things can feel a little bit gimmicky. Um, it can feel very unspiritual, unholy spirit-led. So let me just say, we're doing this, one, because I think it's good to tangibly write down what the Lord speaks to you. Two, when we go into new buildings and fundings and all that kind of stuff, we've got to have some kind of a commitment from our folks to show the bank that God is leading this church and we're unified and we're all in together. But more than anything, what I want this to be is I want this to be an opportunity for you to pray as a, as a family, to seek the Lord, and if he leads you to do this, to throw all in with us, to write that down, and, and, and not allow it to become a legalistic document for you or a burdening, burdening commitment to you. Um, this is simply a, a tangible expression of what God speaks to you. Um, this coming Friday night, we're gonna do, we're gonna host what we're calling an advanced commitment night. And so let me take a minute to explain that to you as well. So this Friday night at 6.30, we're gonna meet in this room for a worship service. And primarily what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna be worshiping Jesus together. That's the main reason we're getting together. Um, we're also going to begin hearing stories from different families, uh, different things that God is doing in your life and stirring in you. Um, if, if that's happening and you want to share your story, would you let us know? We want, to, want this whole night to be a night about what God is doing and testimonies and stirring in us, okay? And then we're also, for those who are ready and prepared, um, you're going you're, you're to be free to make an advanced commitment. If you, many of you have already said to me, like, hey, I'm all in already. Can we just move on? Like, Let's do this. I'm all in, okay? And so that may be you, and this will be an opportunity for you to do that, to go ahead and just fill out your commitment card, turn it in, say, we're all in. Let's do this. It's an advanced commitment night. But first and foremost, this is an opportunity for us to get together as a church and celebrate what Jesus is doing and worship him together. So even if you're not there yet, we want you to come be a part of that. Even if you're thinking in your mind, there's no way I'm gonna write anything down on a commitment card. There's no way. Perfect. We still want you to come and to be a part of that night and to hear what God is doing and just open up your heart to what he might want to do in, in your life as well. And so this coming Friday night, 6.30, this room, everybody's invited, okay? Everybody's invited. Um, there's going to be an opportunity to hear stories. There's going to be an opportunity to share stories. And there's going to be an opportunity to worship Jesus together. Now, what I want to do is um, I want to let you know a couple things. And first of all, um, in all of our, our services, we, we try to, to um, let you know, make it known um, that we're here to be, be here for you and whatever God's doing in your life today, okay? And so some of you in, 
may want to pray with somebody or talk with somebody. Um, our prayer partners are going to be at the back of the room just like always and, and when we sing our last two songs. And so at any point in the service, you could approach one of them and it could be awkward, but just say, hey, would you pray for me? Or, hey, can I talk with you? That's all you have to do. And then they'll, they'll guide you from there. And maybe you want to make a commitment to follow Christ today. I encourage you to, to do that. Um, also want to let you know, too, that if you're, when we start singing in a minute, if you just want to stay seated, feel free to do that. No expectations. What we want is we want you to have the opportunity to hear from God today and respond to however he's leading you. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to pray for us, and then you're going to get a chance to hear um, a story from one of our families, the Grubbs, John and Stacy. And uh, they're going to share their hearts about how God has been stirring in them for over 15 years um, about being all in in the church from volunteering and serving and giving and all those sorts of things. So um, let me pray for us, and then we'll listen to their story. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for leading us through this story of Peter, uh, both his, uh, his faith and his doubt. And most of all, we're so thankful that the good news of the gospel um, allows us to, to follow you, to commit to you, to surrender to you, even before we have our lives together, that, that you rescue us continually. And so, God, thank you for that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that your love for us isn't contingent on um, how moral we are or how uh, strong our faith is, that, that your love for us is, is solely based on who you are. God, thanks for loving us. And God, I pray now that we would all think about um, maybe what you've spoken to us today through Matthew 14 and how you've challenged our hearts and Holy Spirit, would you now guide us as we prepare to respond? I pray that as John and Stacy st- share their story, each person in this room would think about their own story. God, we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm John Grubb. This is my wife, Stacy. We've come to Solid Rock for 15 years. Together we have five children. Ashley's who's 30, Zach who's 30, Blake's 27, Shelby's 24, and Kenzie, who's 10. She's involved in the kids' ministry here. And I was invited to Solid Rock by my sister, Gayla. Um, she was bringing my son, Blake, and uh, he was uh, really uh, coming a lot. I started coming with him, um, and then I met John, and he started coming with me after I brought Zach and Shelby. We're currently involved in the student ministries. Uh, We also co-lead a community group together. Especially defining moment for me was when I was uh, my first week. I mean, I'd grown up Catholic all my life. My first week, uh, I'm sitting in a connection class. Billy Warren gives his testimony and presented the gospel to me. It was, you know, I was floored by it. I, I was that day. I submitted. I submitted to Christ that day, and it was just. Amazing, awesome feeling. A defining moment for me um, here at Solid Rock was um, last year I got to be um, an adult leader with the youth girls at church camp and one of the girls came up to me during worship and asked me um, how to become a Christian and that she wanted to be a Christian and and I said okay so she and I walked away and we talked and I kind of, it was nothing that I did, but it, 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 the Spirit was working through us and we prayed together and um, she accepted Christ that day and I got to, I got to be a part of that with her and um, 
that was very impactful for both of us. We give monetarily because we're called to, biblically. Uh, we also are generous with our time because uh, we believe we're called for that also, but we enjoy working with the youth, you know, uh, showing them how to become more Christ-like and eventually becoming Christian adults. What God's been teaching me about generosity is the intentional investment, not just with my money, but the investment in people's lives, uh, such as the youth and my community group. I believe Solid Rock's a good investment because we see God's work here. We have been here when the church was full on Sundays, packed out. Um, we've been we've been coming here to Solid Rock since when it was the attendance was low. It was you know 30, 40 people in the service, and we've watched it grow back again. And I I believe that this is where God's called us to be. When I first heard of the All In Initiative, I thought I'm all in with my church, uh, you know, 100 percent. Then I got to thinking. Am I? Am I truly all in with what God's plan is for me? So uh, that's, that's how I'm, I'm being challenged by that. We're excited about the All In Initiative and I would like to encourage anybody who is on the fence about it to come and talk to one of us or somebody else and just let us share with you God's faithfulness.